What if? That's a common thing we hear in our culture these days. What if? We've got a lot of ideas. We ask ourselves that all the time. When something doesn't go quite like you thought it should, you find yourself going, well, what if I had done this? Or what if I had done that? And what if is the premise for a lot of stuff out there in the world today, isn't it? There's a show on television on NBC called Ordinary Joe. And it asks the question, if I had made this career choice instead of that career choice, or if I'd married this person instead of that person, and on it goes. And if you've watched it, it shifts back and forth from three different scenarios. Marvel has an animated series called What If? Premise is, what if this superhero had made a different choice? What if the guy that we're accustomed to seeing as the superhero turned out, maybe he got killed or he didn't want to do it, and a female stepped in and became that superhero? What if this superhero had been killed and some other superhero took their place? We see it in novels. We see it in all kinds of books. The premise of what if. There are books out there that you know, try to take us on what if the British hadn't won the Revolutionary War or had won the Revolutionary War rather than the colonists. Or what if Hitler and Japan had won World War II instead of the Allies. So we see it in songs and in movies. We see it in articles. We see it in politics. You know, what if we do this? What if we don't do this? And we're pulled back and forth. That seems to be a question that comes everywhere these days. What if? Well, it's not original with us. Because in Psalm 124, David says, you know, if this had not happened, this might have been the case. We find this man after God's own heart acknowledging the possibility things could have gone terribly wrong if they had not been with the Lord and the Lord had not been on their side. And so this Psalm of David we find in 124 goes like this. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare, and the snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So this Psalm of David would have likely been used not only in common with the, with the people, but also in temple worship. It could have been that it would have been spoken or it would have been sung. And perhaps the Levite would have read the first part, first five verses, and the people would have responded with verses 6, 7, and 8. They would have a song to sing. You and I have a song to sing. In fact, this scripture song showed up a few years ago, and I thought you needed to learn it, and it will help you nail down Psalm 124. So I'm going to teach you, and then we're going to let you sing it with us, okay? Somebody give me a... If the Lord had not been on our side, all our enemies would have swallowed us alive. 
If the Lord had not been on our side, all the raging waters and the mighty flood would have swept over us. If the Lord, if the Lord, if the Lord had not been on our side. Now that's the main part of it. There's a middle section that you'll catch on real quick, but we want to introduce that this morning. If the Lord had not been on our side. If the Lord had not been on our side, all our enemies would have swallowed us alive. If the Lord had not been on our side, all the raging waters and the mighty flood would have swept over us. If the Lord, if the Lord, if the Lord had not been on our side. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us up, the Lord who is our help. Maker of heaven and earth. If the Lord had not been on our side, all our enemies would have swallowed us alive. If the Lord had not been on our side, all the raging waters and the mighty flood would have swept over us. If the Lord if the Lord, if the Lord had not been on our side. Give yourself a hand. You know, the Bible says we've been given a new song to sing, and so now you have another new song to sing. First part of this psalm is what might have happened. What might have happened? This psalm is a statement of praise regarding the Lord's protection and care of Israel when they were faced by a great national challenge. And it's saying, let Israel acknowledge that the Lord alone had saved her from extinction. Not that anyone else, but the Lord alone. It's also for us today, though. Sometimes we look back at the Old Testament, we think that's a lot of history that I'll learn sometime later when I have a chance. But the fact is, God has been teaching us from Genesis 1 all the way through his book. So this is a reminder to us today of God's perseverance with us, who he calls his saints. So there you are. You're up a notch already today because the Bible says we are his saints. Now, when did this deliverance that Psalm 124 addresses. When did that take place? Scholars have various views about the events or experiences that David is addressing. Since Jerusalem has never been destroyed by water, it's pretty, they're pretty sure that David was not writing of something that had happened there, but something else, another experience that he had had. And because he's a military fellow, we know he was faced with threats from the enemy. Now, 
for those of you who are Bible scholars out there or historians, pull back and think. Who were the most often enemies of God's people? The Philistines. You've heard that before, the Philistines. And they came close, literally, to swallowing up the young Jewish state, swallowing up while they were very much alive, engulfing it and sweeping it away, like is described in verses 3, 4, and 5. The Philistines, you'll remember, because it comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 5, and just before that, we're reminded that Saul had been killed. He was dead. Jonathan had been killed, and now the Philistines were on the, a search in 2 Samuel. They were on a search for David, and they went into the valley of Rephim. And so that account is there for you to read when, um, if you get bored here in a minute while I'm talking. Uh, we believe that this psalm was the response to the Philistines attacking him, and it helps us understand how serious that attack was by the Philistines. They were intent on wiping them out. And there are six images here in the first half of this psalm that we want to highlight just a moment. First one is an animal swallowing its prey. That's, that's what we find in verse 3, an animal swallowing its prey. The enemy was brutal. If you look back at how kings and rulers were treated in biblical times, it was merciless. They would have things cut off. They would be drugged. They would be pierced. I mean, it was, it was a pretty tough place to be if you were a defeated enemy. And so he says the enemy was brutal. If God had not gotten involved, the psalmist says, we would have been swallowed alive. We would have been gone. We would have been defeated. But regardless of who this enemy was then, we are also reminded that we still have an enemy, don't we? The devil is still our enemy. Satan is very much alive. And he is seeking you and I every moment of every day to destroy us. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter writes, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we can also say that if the Lord had not been on our side, the devil would have swallowed us up and enjoyed every bit of it. Second, in verse 4, we have an image of a flood drowning its victims. The Old Testament is, is the, or the flood is a frequent feature in the Old Testament for sudden life-threatening events. And we find a lot of passages that talk about floods and rising water. Let me just share several with you, kind of reinforce that. Psalm 32, 6 says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Psalm 66, 12 says, We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Psalm 144, 7, Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters from the hands of foreigners. The prophet Isaiah spoke in several places, but one of those was 43.2 when he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then one more from Jeremiah as he wrote in Lamentations 3, 54. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. So this flood reference is a verbal picture that spoke to the culture in Palestine. You know, that is a desert area in some of those places. Dry, mountainous terrain, lots of cracks and gullies and hills, and they seem to be connected. And so when the rain comes, it collects on this this hard-baked soil, and the waters rise quickly and very unexpectedly. That's kind of a situation that I'm a little familiar with. I've been in where ri- waters rise quickly. After seminary, I served in El Paso for four years. It's a desert area. Rainfall there is seven inches on average per year. Now, if you haven't looked at the rainfall in our area, and as you go east, uh, seven inches is not much for a whole year. But that's the average rainfall in El Paso. So. What happens is there's this saying that people say, well, it never rains. I have to do this air quotes thing. It never rains in El Paso. So apparently the city adopted that philosophy because there's very little drainage. And so when the quick downpour comes, it gets curb to curb really fast. And you find yourself driving in several inches of water, sometimes several feet of water. In fact, I had one experience where the water was coming down this street and the water was coming down this street and I needed to turn this way. And so I kind of vaulted through it in my little car at about three feet tall of water. So I've been there, I understand that. So rising water can be pretty scary in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus probably had that kind of idea in his mind when he told folks and warned them not to build their spiritual houses on sand, like the foolish man. You remember the parable in Matthew 7, 27? Jesus said, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, for some of you, you will remember when we, if you grew up in church, you grew up in Sunday school, you remember as a preschooler, as an elementary kid, that very, a lot of Sundays you sang in opening session before you went to your age groups. And one of the songs we used to sing was about the wise man and the foolish man. And the fourth stanza of that was the rains came down and the floods came, and you had to do motions, right? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Cute song. Big truth. Serious truth. If we build our spiritual lives on things that don't matter, then when stuff happens... When the winds come, and the floods particularly come, and threaten to overcome us, we have no way to hang on. And we drown spiritually. But if we build it on the rock, 
Surely, if the Lord had not been on our side to provide us with a solid foundation to build our lives on, we would have been overwhelmed many times. Because the stuff of life doesn't happen in slow motion. It happens quickly. It happens suddenly. happens unexpectedly. You and I don't have time to sit down and say, well, you know, should I believe that God is going to help me in this situation? By then you've drowned. Because the challenges we have in life come quickly. So the question right here would be, are you building your life on Jesus, the rock? Will you survive when trouble comes? Will you? Third, a third image we have is in verse 4, a torrent rushing over everything. In the first line of verse 4, the image of being engulfed by quick rising floodwaters were shown a swept and a surge sweeping over helpless, desperate people. Sometimes our troubles are like that, aren't they? It's not so much like we've been buried. It's more like we've been hit by a truck that just kept going and we're left mangled and bruised and it's on down the road and we're left to deal with whatever that situation was that just ran over us. But if we've kept ourselves founded on the rock, then we can say if the Lord had not been on our side to lift and carry us, to bandage our wounds, to heal us, we would have also been completely destroyed. Another image in verse 4, waters, or excuse me, verse 5, waters sweeping everything before them. This image takes, uh, takes it one step further with a flood that drowns, destroys, and sweeps it all away. Some people lose everything when the floods come. And I don't mean just the water floods, but the things of life. Sometimes they lose everything. Everything they relied on for their future and well-being. Sometimes an unexpected medical condition. Sometimes a job loss. Sometime, sometimes a loss of someone you care a lot about, you love, you're married to your children, sometimes those things just sweep us away, don't they? Many of you would agree if the Lord had not been on your side, when that hits you, you too would have been swept away. And the longer we live and the more stories we can tell of surviving only because the Lord has set our feet on a rock, Jesus. These two images are thanking God for his deliverance. If the Lord, these next two, if the Lord had not been on our side, this could have happened. He mentions an animal grinding its prey in verse 6. That's like the image of an animal chewing down to the bones. But if he has protected us, then we're not in danger. Or in verse 7, a bird caught in a trap. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have not escaped the traps our enemies set for us. Now, you don't get out of a trap. Do you? Once you're in a trap, it takes somebody else. That is, unless you're willing to chew off your leg or your foot to get out of that trap. A trap is just that. It's got you. When we're in a trap, we need what the Father has for us. We need to find out what the Bible says. Because it also says He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He God is our ever-present help when we face those situations. So what if? 
What if Jesus had not died and taken our place? What if he had not taken the punishment that we deserve? What if we were under the wrath and judgment of God for the sins we've committed that would carry us and be with us forever? What if, what if it wasn't for Jesus? Well, Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us or for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ Jesus, we're taken care of. We're covered. If we're trying to live outside of his will for our life, if we're trying to live without him, we're in even more danger than we can imagine. What if God didn't help us stay on a path of discipleship? Some of us have lived long enough to know what it's like when we step away from God's plan for our lives. And the difference that is as to when we get back on the path he has for us. Because, you know, we're all like a guy named Peter. Every one of us are like a guy named Peter. If Jesus hadn't interceded and prayed for him, Peter could have been lost from his mission for God, the mission that God had for him. Because we all fall away at some point. At some point in all of our living, we will step to the left or the right instead of staying on the path God has for us. Peter, look at him, he denied Christ. And yet Christ Jesus recommissioned him for the mission he had for him. What if God had not kept us, did not keep us from death? We would not be here this morning if he wasn't keeping us from death. This rising tide of death comes for us and we're promised to resurrect. I can look back on specific moments in my own life where I could have lost my life. Usually involving when my microphone goes off. There it is again. Okay. Okay, I didn't do it. I'm not touching it. There are several. I was, you know, as I was looking at these passages and thinking about this message, I can I can list several things where, actually, I can see the hand of God so plainly, and some of you are the same way. But First Corinthians 15 verse 55 and following says this: Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our victory is. King David wrote this in Psalm 23, verse 4. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I am here today because he has taken care of me. You are here today because he has taken care of you as well. So the first half was what might have happened, but the second half is what did happen. And what did happen is we can all say because of it, praise the Lord. The second half of this psalm begins with praise. It's a declaration of thanks to God for his deliverance. The psalmist David is saying, thank you, in these verses. You and I don't say that enough to him. We just don't. God has been so faithful to us 
that we tend to take his protection and his deliverance for granted. We sometimes act as though it won't be done if we don't do it. God won't see his will and purpose accomplished if we don't do it. So we're very important to God because the only way he gets his work done is because I've surrendered my life to him, right? Well, the fact is God is not dependent on me or you to get anything done. If he wants to do something, he can accomplish his will. He chooses to let us be in on it. But sometimes I think we get the picture, don't we, that he's sitting in heaven on the edge of his seat just wondering like a movie or a television show, are we going to make it in time to get this done? It doesn't work that way. This ministry that we've been called to, and I'm pointing to all of us, this ministry that we've been, call, point, we've been pointed and commanded and been given as a task, it's not ours. It's his. Amen? And he is accomplished, or his ministry is accomplished by his divine will through us. I don't know why he thought it was a good idea for us to do it, but he does. And that's amazing, isn't it? Because the God of the universe wants me to be a part of that. We need him, not the other way around. If we were more aware of what would happen if we didn't have his protection, we'd probably praise him a lot more. But we just kind of get, I'm okay, you know. And we get kind of, oh, this is great. Yeah, look what God did. Yeah, thanks, God. I think if we were more aware of it, we'd be more grateful. We might be more biblical in our thinking about it. And instead of going, you know, this was, this was good, we might say, God, I don't know how you let me do this, but I'm so thankful. So how do you acknowledge your complete dependence on God? First, you affirm the difference God makes in your life. Second, you praise God for his protection and deliverance in your life. Third, and tell others how God helped you. Affirm that he makes a difference. Praise him for his protection, and then tell somebody about it. And don't be shy. If you find the cure for cancer, you're going to want your loved one to know the cure for cancer. If you find money in somebody's backyard, you're probably going to want to go get a shovel and maybe let some other people help you find it or dig it up. If you, the good things in life, we want other people to know about. So we ought to tell them about it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to let you talk out loud in church. I'd like to hear, and other people around you would like to hear things that you are thankful for. So I'm going to give you just a minute to think about that. What are things you're thankful for? Let's start over here. Anybody over here? Peace. Love. His love. Speak a little louder because I'm hard of hearing. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? No? This side. Something you're thankful for. Okay. Family. Okay. 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 How about the center section? Okay. Man. Yes, sir. 
Amen. Why are we slow? Why is that difficult for us? Somebody just told you you could talk in church. And you got really quiet. Even y'all quit moving back there. I thought that was real interesting. Uh, you think you don't, we don't ever see you? Well, you know, you're wrong. Okay, um, back on track, sorry. If you're on the internet, now, anyway, our testimony. Let's talk about our testimony. We have one, don't we? Remember I said earlier, we are not, we don't just have a story, we are a story of God's redeeming, caring love for us. The final verse in verse 8 is this, of this psalm is this recurring statement in the psalm. And it's been a recurring statement that churches have used throughout the, throughout the centuries. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Churches have been saying that for centuries. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Say it with me. Our help is in the name of the Lord. One more time. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And this confession is that he is the one true living only God. That's who we look to. Amen? Three emphasis in this little line. Let's look at them. The first one is our help is in the name of the Lord. We may find others offering to help, but only the Lord of all of heaven and earth is adequate for our weakness. Now, why is that? Well, he's got something that no one else has. He is omniscient, which means all-knowing. He knows everything, so he knows what I need. He knows what you need. Think about that. There are seven-plus billion people on this planet, and he knows what you need personally. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is everywhere, so he's always with us when we need him. He can answer every need. He comes in every circumstance. He shows up because he is everywhere all at the same time. And he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's all-powerful so that he can do what needs to be done. He's loving, he's gracious, and he's our best, he has our best interests at heart. With our God always available to us, why are we looking elsewhere? Why do we lean on other people instead of him? Why is he the, well, you know, when all else fails, let's pray. Why do we have that attitude instead of going to him first? A second thing is our help is in the name of the Lord. Despite a culture that trains us that you and I can do it all, Frank, frankly, we can't. We can't do it all. We don't have all the skills or all the knowledge. And a couple centuries ago, a well-known English preacher named Charles Spurgeon said it this way. In God we have help as troubled sinners, being delivered from the punishment and guilt of our sin. We have help as dull scholars, being taught to know and understand God's Word. We have help as trembling professors, being witnesses to His gospel. God giving us words to speak and blessing our testimony in the lives of others. We have help as inexperienced travelers on life's journey, being guided on the right paths and kept from perilous pitfalls and wasteful detours. We have help as feeble workers, being unprofitable servants at best, but God is blessing the work of our hands and making it of lasting value. The things you've been called to, 
He wants to bless those. He wants to bless your efforts, whatever that is. And a third thing, our help is in the name of the Lord. The help that we find in God is our help, not someone else's help. We who are believers here today have tested God's Word and found Him to be everything He's described Himself as being. We've seen Him help us in the past. We see Him helping us in the present. And we believe and know that He's going to help us in the future. And on into forever, He's providing a place for us. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too big for God. So, why do we give in to fear? Nothing is too big for God. Why do we give in to fear? Why do we make decisions based on doubt? Why do we go to God as a last resort? Why does our faith get so shaky when things aren't going the way we planned? Only you can answer that. If you ground, if you build, if you prepare your faith on the rock, you don't have to give in to doubt or fear. You don't have to wonder if he's going to show up because he always does. So where are you this morning? What are you thinking? Did it not go well this week for you? Was there something you couldn't, couldn't understand? Did you feel like you were going to be crushed or swept over by the waters that were rising in your life? Did you get a report from the doctor that you didn't know what to do with? Did you get chewed out by your boss? Did a teacher say mean things to you? Did somebody pick on you at school or... Maybe somebody cut you off at an intersection. Did things not go well for you this week? Did you go to him for the answers to those situations? Or as I so profoundly said in our class just a few minutes ago, did you go, because that's what we do, isn't it? That's usually how we react when things don't go like we think they should. Instead of taking a moment, and asking God to help us in that situation. This morning, I would challenge you to reconsider how you're doing life. If he's the last place you go, rather than the first place you go, if you trust other people more than you trust him, if you trust this economy to be the answer to all your problems over faith in him, then I would ask you to reconsider where your faith is this morning. Because he loves you and provides for you in a way that no one else can. And I would hope this morning you would be willing to say to him, God, I'm giving it all back to you. I am really tired of trying to fix it all myself. And it really is the first step on a path that works. Some of you have found that. You live it every day. Others of you struggle with it. 
I would say to you, we don't have to struggle. We're going to struggle enough with the issues, but we don't have to struggle with the one who can provide the answers. So this morning, let him have your stuff back and let him take care of you in a way that no one else can. So when we stand in just a moment for an invitation, you may want to come and pray. You may want to pray where you are. You may want to go to somebody and talk with them. It could be this morning you've been looking for a church home and you've decided you'd like for it to be here. I don't know what issues you're dealing with. It could be that what I have been saying this morning seems like another language because you have yet to give your life to Christ. You've yet to give in to the fact that only he's going to make a difference. And if there's nothing else in this room more powerful than, or there's nothing in this room more powerful than the desire of believers to see everyone come to know Jesus. And so if you've been reluctant, if you've been resisting, then I wish today you would let the Holy Spirit permeate your heart and life and change you forever. Because we'd like to see you in heaven with us someday. Let's stand together. And we're going to pray. And then if you need to come forward for any reason, please do that. Our Father, we are so thankful for the way you love us and you take care of us. We're encouraged by your word. These examples that we find in just these eight verses say so much to us about how we should be living. And we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to let the world win. And we don't have to let circumstances overwhelm us. So I pray, Father, that we would step past that. And whether we're believers today who've lost our direction or people who've never come to know you personally, that you'd work in in our hearts and minds right now and change us forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.